Hello, my name is Mark Taylor. Welcome to this three podcast network, which includes the shows Education on Fire, sharing creative and inspiring learning in our schools, Learning on Fire, Education from Sharing Wisdom, Not Testing, and the National Association for Primary Education. Find out all you need to know at educationonfire.com. There comes a time in every person's life when you realise it's not about doing what you are told, but doing what you know is right for you. Let us take a journey of learning and discovery with the world's most successful people who are living the life of their dreams, walking through life using their inner wisdom and being of service to others. Forget exams, grades and test scores. What is your purpose? As we let go of what we think should be and learn from our elders to gain knowledge, inspiration and a true sense of who we are. What are your dreams? Does your life have meaning? Are you living a life of significance? Let's talk with today's guest. Hello and welcome as we spend some more time together on the Learning on Fire podcast. Today I'm talking to Nikki Rash. Hi Nikki, thanks for joining me and let's explore the journey of who you are. Hi and thank you for having me. Well, I'm Nikki Rausch and I am a sales coach, trainer, author and speaker. And I live in the Seattle area, Washington in the United States. And um, I spend most of my time working with entrepreneurs and sales teams. So we, we mentioned just very briefly before we started, but I, I love the fact that we have this sort of area that we can talk about. And, and especially when we're going through school, we sort of have that, you know, what job do you want? You know, what, what, what is it that you want to be able to do? And I think that idea of actually having something which you love doing and being able to get that across in whatever area that happens to come in. So just give us a bit of a, an idea of the sorts of breadth that you teach, the sorts of things that you do. So I really focus on the relationship side of selling the conversation piece because, you know, we, you probably heard this before where they always talk about people buy and do business with people who they know, like, and trust. And so I spend a lot of time teaching the language of sales. I teach a very simple five-step process for how people can walk somebody up the, I call it the selling staircase, how you can walk somebody up the selling staircase and do it while keeping the relationship front of mind. So it doesn't come across gross or salesy or aggressive. And it really, the, the idea behind it is it allows for the people that I work with, it allows them to be of better service in the world because you can have the best product and you can have the most exciting service. Um, and if you're not sure how to sell it, or if you're not sure how to walk somebody through the sales process, you really don't get to work with a lot of your ideal clients. And so I work to help people be able to serve and kind of follow their passion and, and make money doing it. And what I love is the fact that it just becomes, you can almost feel the warmth of, of, of what you were just saying there. Because when you people think of marketing and selling and that kind of thing, you think there's um, something you need to do or some kind of way of being, which is quite hard to define. But the way that you were talking about it, it's very warm. And it, like you say, it's people to people. It's about understanding what you're trying to do. It's about relationships. And of course, that's inherently what's the most important thing is, is human beings. Yes, it is about that real connection. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be treated like I'm just a, you know, a dollar sign on somebody's <laughs> head, right? Like, I don't want people to think, oh, I'm just trying to get something out of Nikki or, or, you know, convince her to do something. 
And so most of us don't want to be treated that way. And, and that really is why I do what I do is because in order to be effective, you do have to put the relationship first and make it a priority and allow and, and be from an authentic place showing up of like, I really do care about the people that I'm working with and the people that I serve, which I do think the majority of people out there do care, but nobody has really ever broken down the sales process for them in a step-by-step way that allows for their authentic personality to come through. Oftentimes, you know, in, in my career in sales, we got told, you know, that you're supposed to like, you know, go out and hunt big game and, and, you know, and and you're supposed to be an elephant hunter. And it was like, you're supposed to be looking for the big deal and all of that. But none of that actually ever teaches people the actual conversation that happens in a sales process. So telling people you've got to make a certain number of calls or you have to go, you know, after some big account, that's all fine and good. But if somebody doesn't really know, okay, so I'm here, what do I say? How do I build rapport? How do I understand and ask questions that allow for them to share what's important to them, what their need is, what their struggle is? You can really never propose the right offer to somebody if you don't know how to do that process and do it well. And I guess making a hundred phone calls, but never saying the right thing or having the opportunity to, like I say, to find out that information is just an awful lot of time wasted. You might have got through your quota, but you're not actually going to be giving any value to anybody, let alone get anything back. That's right. I mean, who want, I mean, I started my sales career in a, what we call a dialing for dollars type position where it was about how many calls did you make every day? And, you know, a lot of times in sales, they're like, get as many no's as you can, as fast as you can. Well, that seems like (laughs) a huge time suck, you know, to like spend time just calling people who have, who've expressed zero interest in what you do. And then just trying to get them to say no as fast as possible so that you can move on and do the same thing to the next person. Like that doesn't feel very good to most of us. And it's also why entrepreneurs oftentimes struggle with the sales process is because they don't want to, they don't want to sell in that way. And because they're often apprehensive about the sales process because they don't want to be seen as salesy or aggressive or pushy then they hold themselves so far back that they never get to have real conversations with people that lead to the sale. And then what's the point in being in business? Um, It must be different now with the online world, but I don't know whether it's harder or easier, but just that sense of, I sort of have that impression in my mind of you know someone going into the store and wanting to buy, I don't say a hardware store and wanting to buy a hammer or whatever. and, And you have that sort of, immediate interaction you know you can talk about things that you you know you've got that immediate personal connection is it harder with the online world and entrepreneurs that are getting into that thing or is it just different is the process the same or the psychology the same for it i uh, i feel like in some ways it is the same it's it really still is about making real legitimate connections with people so I mean, it's easier in that it's easier to reach a broader audience now because of social media. You know, I get to work with clients around the world, whereas probably, you know, 20 years ago, I would probably just look like work locally. 
right? Um, and so you get to reach a broader amount of people, but you still have to make real connections with people. The The downside of social media is that you can reach a broad a bunch of people so you can get a, a thousand no's quicker, but that still doesn't <laughs> lead to the sale, right? That doesn't actually get somebody in the process with you that allows for you to walk them through the process and earn their business. Yeah, no, I can really see that. And and from your personal standpoint, you were talking about speaking and being an author and, and all of that. Is that something which is part of being in, in the sort of business that you're in? Do you find that very easy or is it is there a development there because of the way you've got relationships and how people come to you? How did that sort of transition move from literally, like you say, that sort of dollar kind of making a call all the way through to being able to be on stage and affecting people in such a large way? Well, it wasn't intentional. I'll, I'll say that when I started my business, I just thought I would work with people one-on-one. And then I, get a, I started getting asked to speak. And also just kind of knowing, you know, where like you're a little bit about your format and how you talk about people's school experiences and things like that. If you had known me in school, you would (laughs) never think that I would be able to do what I what I do today, which is get up and speak in front of, you know, sometimes hundreds of people because I was incredibly shy. And so really what happened was people started liking the stuff that I was teaching and asking me to come and speak to a broader audience. I did in my sales career have a job that allowed for me to do a lot of demonstrations. And so that started putting me in front of bigger groups. And sometimes, you know, a group would be like two or three people. Sometimes it would be like 25, (laughs) nothing like what I'm doing now. Um, But it did, it was really good practice ground for being able to like put myself in what what was a very uncomfortable position and get used to being in front of a group, get used to speaking into a microphone. And then um, when I started my business and started getting asked to speak and getting asked to speak to bigger groups, it has been an incredible way for me to really connect with people initially. Because when somebody gets to hear your voice and see your face and your body language, it allows for somebody who's sitting in the audience to go like, I really like her and I feel connected or she's not for me. And either way is okay, but it allows for them to make a decision pretty quickly about me. And so it is an incredible source of where my new clients come from is from speaking. I could really see that. And like I say, it's it's almost like it takes the facade away from everything, doesn't it? Because like you say, there's there's nothing like that human element there. They get to hear all the great stuff you've got to say and they can, like I say, the body language and all those all those hidden gems which are really important too. It's, it's their face valley right in front of you. Yeah, yeah. And then the writing for me has always just been a way to express myself. Like I, I didn't really... Um, I always have loved to write, but I didn't really ever think of myself as a writer. And I'm really kind of still in embracing that, even though I'm on my third book. (laughs) Um, But writing has been a way for me to get my voice out into the world. And sometimes I write not even knowing, like, will anybody ever read this? (laughs) And then when they do, I'm incredibly flattered. Yeah, there is some. I, I do find that as well a little bit from the podcast sometimes. You sort of have that, you're talking, and it might be, a solo show or when I'm interviewing someone and 
but the fact is, is it's there forever after that, you know, and, and it's a, it's a snap point, a, a snapshot really of, of that particular time and that particular conversation and that relationship, you know, talking about how all these things are built on relationships. Um, but it's always there and, and people can come back and then sometimes I get um, an email from someone who says, well, I really enjoyed this particular show. And you think, my word, that was like a year or so ago. But to them, it's absolutely new. And, and I really love that fact. It must be the same when someone's reading the book. It's that for them. It's that first personal time. Yes. Yes. And like you said, though, for podcast, I mean, podcasting is such a powerful tool because because I do go on podcasts and, and I'm interviewed on podcasts. People, same thing, will, will show up in my world or in my community in some way and be like, I just discovered you on a podcast that I was on like over a year ago. <laughs> and like you said to them, it's like, oh, this is a new this is a new like this is brand new content to them, which is really exciting. I love that about writing a podcast is that evergreen piece to it is that people can find it at any time and connect to it. Yeah, it's lovely. And and just interestingly there, as you, as you mentioned the podcast, I've actually started listening to a podcast of someone I was actually watching YouTube videos of. And um, and it's interesting the way people say about you know this content in various different formats, whether it's video or, or text or, or audio only. And it's a very different experience. It's interesting what following someone for a long time, just watching videos and it's sort of a group event. But there's something very personal about just putting your earbuds in and listening to it sort of late at night as I'm sort of um, getting ready for bed. And I just and I and I, I no, I always did know that I love podcasting is what I do. But it was interesting having that sort of black and white um, separation between no, this is a video thing and then actually having it as a separate entity and just listening to it as a podcast. I love that. I know I, I start to feel like because I'm a avid podcast listener and I start to have I feel like I talk back to them like while I'm listening, like we're in a real conversation, which maybe is a little insight into my little bit of crazy. But I I love to feel that connection through somebody's voice, the voice. Um, I didn't really ever realize it until I started listening to podcasts, how much I enjoy listening to somebody's voice. Yeah, there's something about the inflection. And I think there's something about the humanity which comes through, which when you're only focused on that one thing, I think is a is a special thing. Yeah, and I'm, I am really appreciate getting that opportunity to do it with you today. Well, thank you. So what does your life look like now and how is it different from when you were growing up? Well, my life now is I... My life now is really great, frankly. I have an amazing partner who we've been together for 15 years and very much in love. And um, and he's kind of the light of my life. And I didn't really come like growing up. I didn't come from you know my my parents always were in tumultuous relationships, and so that part of my life is very solid, which is very different from how I grew up. And then. And then how I grew up was I was incredibly shy. I think I mentioned that. I remember in school, you know, not not really ever feeling comfortable making friends and just feeling so uncomfortable in my skin and who I was. And I am a very different person today in that I am quite confident in what I know and what I'm capable of. And not that I still don't have the, you know, struggle with the imposter syndrome at stuff and, and at times like that. But for the most part, I I know that I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing. And so I, I would say I'm very satisfied in my life. And I did not have that growing up. 
I love to hear that, and I just think of everybody listening, and I certainly remember as a teenager going through, you sort of, you're sort of ebbing and flowing about who you think you are or who you think you should be and the, how you fit with the people around you and all of that kind of thing. And I guess a lot of it is experience, isn't it, as you get older? But as you start to really find who you are and you put your time and effort into that, and then you're able to really speak authentically as that person, then you start to feel better, I think, and feel more confident in that because, as you said, people then come to you asking for your advice or to to do whatever it is that you're into and then all of a sudden i think i think the stars align somewhere and i think i think it's an interesting thing for people to remember especially if you're feeling insecure like that that it's also just a snapshot of this particular part of your life and while it might feel uncomfortable it's not always going to necessarily be the same and i think there's some solace to be taken from hearing that from different people i agree i mean if if somebody had told me when I was in high school, that I would be a speaker and that I would get up on stage and willingly speak, you know, not because I was forced to, I would have thought that person, I would have never believed them because I was, I mean, I used to do everything I could to get out of going to class when I had to get up and speak publicly. And now, you know, any opportunity that I get to speak (laughs) publicly, I feel like it's such a treat. And so, you know, if you, if somebody had told me back in high school, like you're, you're going to, cherish the opportunities to get up and speak to a group of people and make an impact in the world. I would have been like, you're crazy. I'm definitely going to have a job where I don't even have to talk to people. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I I just think there's, there's so much inspiration there for people listening there. What was valuable about your school experience? I think what was really valuable was figuring out that in a lot of ways, I think it's a little different today, but uh, growing up, you know, I'm 46. And so growing up in the school system, when I grew up, I was very much taught to visual learners. And I am not a visual learner. I'm a high kinesthetic learner. And I didn't learn that about myself until I was in my 30s. And so what I realized was traditional school wasn't really the best fit for me, but I did find a way to make it work. Like I, some, sometimes I struggled through and then other times, you know, when you had a really great teacher or somebody who was willing to pay attention to what your needs were that, that allowed for me to thrive in certain areas. But one of the things that happened for me in school was that I got involved with, it was called drill team at the time and then dance team. And that was where I really found an opportunity to express myself, but again, not having to speak publicly, but it was like dancing in front of groups of people. And um, that school experience really helped build my confidence that even though I was, you know, doing things with people who had, like most of the people that I was on these teams with, had been doing it for years and years. And I didn't have that kind of background. Like I didn't grow up getting to go to dance class and things like that. And so it allowed for me to, to start to realize that I may be a, I was like a slow burn. I would say (laughs) I had this ability to, I would work really hard. And because I was willing to work really hard, I would see that I could get better and better and better. And then eventually reach a point within a, pretty quick time. I mean, at the time it probably felt like forever for me, but in a pretty short amount of time, I could start to stand next to people who had years of experience in whatever it was that we were doing and be like a, like be a competitor. 
And so that was a really good learning experience for me because it's, it's kind of brought, brought into my life now, anytime there's something I don't know how to do, but I know if I could learn how to do it, then I could exceed at it. It, it, it just kind of brings it forward to me to go like, I'm going to have that slow burn. I'm going to start out and I'm going to, I'm going to fumble and I'm going to look really clumsy. And at some point things are going to start to click and I'll be able to stand shoulder to shoulder with the people who've been doing it for years and be a competitor. And it really is why that sort of broad curriculum is important, isn't it? And all the exposure, you get to lots of things at school. It's why it's so heartbreaking when you hear of all the cuts in music and dance and drama and those things. Because mm. I think it really gives children a chance to have that expression and to get their voice out there, whatever that happens to be. And, um, and, and so I think that's really important. So even if you feel like there's a particular subject you don't like the most of or whatever... F- focus on the things that you are enjoying and like you say it can it doesn't have to be that I liked this particular subject because I got this grade it's like I like this particular aspect of school because it gives me something and and I think when you can see the the school as a whole I think that's that's a really beneficial thing and just one one thing that you were saying which I'd like to pick up on in terms of the different types of learning um how does that sort of transport in, into how you learn things now? Because obviously you're now very aware of the best way of learning. Um, just describe for people the difference between sort of how it was for you from a school learning perspective and, and, and that different type of learning, which obviously then helped you as you got older. Well, so one of the things I've learned in all of my years of study, and I have a background in neurolinguistic programming, and it was really when I started studying NLP that I learned that there's people who are high visual learners, people who are high auditory learners, and people who are high kinesthetic learners. And you can, each one is a spectrum. And so you might be, you might have kind of a dual strength. Um, Very few people are like, even across the board, right? The same visual, same auditory, same kinesthetic. And school, traditional school is like, you know, the teacher stands up, she gives a presentation, and then she wants you to go and like, recall it and, (laughs) and put it into practice, right? Do the homework, do the test. And so it was always taught to, you know, strong visual learners, but I'm a kinesthetic learner. I'm the kind of person who has to actually do it, but make mistakes doing it and then have my mistakes like corrected and me correct them and then, you know, try again. And so this idea that I have to do something, you can't demonstrate something to me and expect for me to pick it up. It's just not the way my brain works. I have to actually do it in order for it to really make sense for me. And so now I know that about myself, which is another reason why I tend to kind of dive into something when I'm when I want to learn it. I know I have to just start and do it because I'll fumble my way through and I'll make huge mistakes, but it's the doing that works really well for me. Whereas somebody else who maybe the doing is not, they're not as high in that, like they've got to have some way to visually learn it. And the great thing about, you know, now is we've got YouTube, which is a great, which is great for visual learners. You know, you can go watch somebody do something Whereas me, if I watch a YouTube video, like I have to do it along with them. And so it's a constant like watch for 30 seconds, pause, go do, go back, rewind, watch what they did again, try to do it again. Like it takes me a long time to learn something over YouTube Um, because, again, it's taught for a for a visual learner. So just knowing that about myself, it also gives me um, it. It allows for me to give myself grace sometimes in that 
I'm just not going to learn things the way others do and that that's okay. And it also, I think, allows for me to be a better trainer now in my work when I'm teaching selling skills because I'm looking always what is what's going to make it click for the other person. And I'm always happy to make adjustments and offer different ways for people to do things or different ways for people to say things that's that because I know that we all are a little different in that way. I think you can take a lot away from that when depending on how you learn um, and I mean I find the same thing a lot when I'm teaching drums and percussion within a school or even privately it's you're always sort of aiming for the same sorts of things the experiences you're trying to do but how the person you're teaching receives that is different every time and because it's very often one-on-one you know you have that luxury of being able to work with somebody to understand them and it's all very organic but you you know then all of a sudden it starts to snowball because you really get them and like you say it all starts to click it's much harder for teachers when they've got a whole class of people because it is that kind of formatted reg- regimented way isn't it but I think as the, as the person in the class if you give yourself a break and think you know, we're being taught this way but it's not the way I learn best I think then you can start to say like I think what you said was perfect you know that being able to give yourself some grace and say yeah I know this is what's happening and, and why it's the case but actually it's not about me not being able to do it it's about me just needing to do it in a different way and once you understand that then everything starts to fit into place and then to go full circle like you say it now becomes one of the biggest assets you have in terms of what you do for your job but in as much as you know exactly what that's like because you've been there and done it and then all of a sudden it was a gift rather than a hindrance. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think classrooms, you know, classrooms have gotten so much smarter and teachers, you know, are, I I think teachers are committed to making it as easy as possible for students to learn. And so now, you know, they've got projectors in every classroom. So there's your audit or there's your visual component. Oftentimes now they put microphones in the classroom because there's tons of studies that have proven just by micing a teacher, even if it's a smaller classroom, um, you don't get like that fatigue in your ears. If a teacher is speaking loudly, if they can just speak in their normal speaking voice, it's actually more, it's, you learn better that way. And so they put, you know, those into the classrooms now where teachers are mic'd. And then now they've started these one, you know, one-to-one where kids are actually, you know, in some classrooms now they've got some type of a, an iPad or some type of a device and that they're going along with the teacher, And so I just think classrooms have gotten so much better and there's so much opportunity now for the different types of learning. Um, You know, we didn't, we didn't have iPads when I was growing up. And so I just think the classrooms have gotten so much better and, and the curriculum and the way that I think now they're opening up to different types of modalities in the classroom, which I think is really smart. Yeah, for sure. And, and especially with things like Khan Academy and places where you can actually go and learn things in your own time and then have the dialogue with the teacher rather than just like say the content coming at you. I think it, it is definitely a big shift in um, in time for all those sorts of things. It'll be really interesting to see how it all pans out as, as, as everything moves forward. Yeah, yeah. Which teachers do you remember and why? I remember my first grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Dick, and she was so incredibly kind to me. 
Um, I, I think I've now said this like five times. I was so shy and I was so uncomfortable going out on, to recess with the other kids. So there were times where she would let me stay in recess, you know, recess, which recess for her was probably time to grade papers and probably have a break and all those things. But oftentimes she would let me sit with her um, and she would talk to me like I was just, you know, a real person. And I just, I just, re- I'll never forget her. She made such an impact on me and the way that she, she just treated me and made me feel really special, but also didn't make me feel like an outcast either. Right. That there was nothing wrong with me, that I was totally fine and that I was still kind of like finding my footing in school. <laughs> so I remember Mrs. Dick and I also missed, uh, remember, uh, Mr. Grabowski and he was my science teacher in high school and he was just such a great guy. He was such a nice teacher and he was, he treated all, like all of the kids in the classroom the same. There wasn't, I just, and I think he, I felt like he made me feel special, but I felt like he made all the kids feel special. And I just loved that about him is that he, he just treated us, you know, it wasn't like he was playing favorites or any of that. He just always made every kid feel valued and important in the class. And I loved that about him. And I love this theme about the the connection and the emotion and and the how you relate to people coming through. Even the, I mean, it might be now that you can remember it looking back, coming forward. But it obviously had such an impact at that particular time as well, which is interesting. Like you say, bearing in mind this great work that you're able to do at this time as well. Who did you admire when you were young, and what was it about that person that had such an impact? I think who I most admired when I was young was my grandfather. And I admired him because he was an incredibly intelligent man. He was also legally blind. And yet he never, it didn't keep him from doing very many things. He started his own business. He was very entrepreneurial. And he had this business. It was a tool store. And people could come and buy tools, but they could also sell tools to him because he would sell new and used tools. And he was a fantastic negotiator. So people would come in and they would make deals with him. And, um, and I just, I really admired that he was highly intelligent, that he had this, you know, what often people would call a disability, but it didn't stop him from continuing to work and build this business and be able to support his family. It's really lovely, isn't it? When you can, when you can see that um, firsthand as well, like you say, if it's someone close to you, if it's someone in your family, I think to to get the benefits of being able to experience that um, close up, I think is 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 a real gift. What was the best piece of advice you've ever been given, and who gave it to you? Hmm, the best piece of advice I've ever been given. Well, <laughs> what comes to mind is I was really lucky in that I had an incredible sales mentor for over 20 some years, uh, a man, his name is Russ short and he passed away last year and he, he was just this incredible mentor to me. And I think his advice, um, I'm trying to think he, he had so many little nuggets of advice, but a lot of them were sales related. And a lot of it was also just me and my career. Like I didn't make any big career changes or job changes without consulting him because he was such a good, very pragmatic kind of guy. But I remember one of the things that I loved the most about him was 
he gave me this piece of advice around sales that when you were talking about your price, you always said it like you were giving the time of day. Because if you had any hesitation in your voice about what the price was, that it would send the message to the other person that you either weren't sure about the price or the pricing was negotiable in some way. And so Russ just had all these nuggets that he used to drop. But his, I just always remember the first time he ever said, Nikki, you give your price like you're giving the time of day. Like you have to be that congruent in your voice. And that has served me in a lot of areas of my life outside of talking about pricing, but just to be able to like, when you want to make a statement of fact, you give it like you're giving the time of day. And that's how congruent your voice should be. I think that's a fantastic piece of advice. And I can, uh, the thing that really strikes me is the fact that I can, I can understand what it's like from the other side. You know, those times when someone asks you how much does you charge for this or whatever, and you can almost feel the emotion coming up, which you know comes out in your voice or has an effect on the overall <laughs> conversation. And to actually have something like that in your mind so that you are you understand it and that you're prepared for it and you can practice it in a way that becomes almost second nature. I think, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, he was amazing. What advice would you give your younger self now? To write more. <laughs> I wish I had started, uh, like really embracing that side of myself. I, I started to do it when I was younger and then I kind of, I think I started to not really believe that I was capable of writing, but I wish if I could tell my younger self, like you are a writer and write everything, write stories, write, um, you know, write your story, anything you want to write, like write it and keep it organized in some way so you can go back to it and pull it forward later in life because it will serve you um, your whole life to, to, to recognize that side of you. And what does your future look like? Well, my future looks like um, that I get to continue to do the work that I love with the people. I, I'm, I'm really I've, I say this a lot, like I am so blessed in the clients that I get to work with. And so I would like to reach a broader audience. I have a membership um, platform for training for sales and it's called the Sales Maven Society. And my future looks like 2000 members in that society of people who are committed to honing the relationship side of selling and being really proficient at it. And and in in terms of the membership and and the people that you do work with, I mean, does it really have a, a vast range of of types of things that they're actually selling? You know, as in terms of it, some bricks and mortar, some of it online. I mean, can you just give us a little bit of a range of the sorts of um, people that would be interested and in actually are already involved? It really needs to be people who are making real connections with people. So if you're having sales conversations, this training will benefit you. This society will benefit you. If you are just selling product over the internet or like in an Etsy shop or something like that, you may still find some benefit of it, but it won't be the same level of benefit as if you're having conversations in the sales process. So if you're, even if you have consulting, you know, if, if you're offering a consultation on your website for someone to get on a call with you, this kind of training benefits you. If you're going out and networking and meeting people, the training that I teach will benefit those people. Um, so yeah. And finally, what podcast 
book, video, film, song, or, or resource has had the biggest impact on your life, and why was that? Well, in the last few years, the the podcast that has had one of the biggest impacts on my life has been the Flipped Lifestyle with Shane and Jocelyn mm-hmm. Sams, which is a where you and I met was at their event. Absolutely. Um, and I, when I discovered their podcast, it was just like, oh my gosh, here's something that is so rich with incredible nuggets of information. And of course I listen to the podcast when I'm driving. And so, so they are the, it's their podcast that oftentimes I feel like I need to pull over and make notes of the suggestions and the things that they give in there, because it is just so rich with incredible advice and suggestions. And I love, I love them and I love their podcast. And I don't know about you, maybe it's something about having been in the room with, with both of them, but listening to podcasts now as they come out weekly I definitely have that sense that it's almost as if they're they're literally sat across the table doing it even like say when you're in the car you could all you can you can sort of hear and see their mannerisms and the way that they are just sort of coming out through the through your earpiece yeah well and I have a I actually coach with Shane now so we have a we have a relationship over Voxer so he's my he's my coach but we coach over Voxer so it's the still it's just his voice I don't know if you know the app Voxer yeah yeah so it's Shane coaching me and sometimes Jocelyn's in the background too. And she'll, she'll pipe up and um, make these brilliant suggestions in my business. But it is, it's so fantastic because it, so when I listen to his podcast, it is because I talk back to him and Voxer all the time. I, I'm talking back to them in their podcast too. And, um, and so people that um, are really interested in this whole idea of selling and the conversations and where's the best place for them to go and find out more about it all? Well, I always like to give a little gift. I didn't, I didn't okay this with you before. So you tell me, can I offer a little download for your, for your listeners if they're interested? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. So I have an ebook and it's called closing the sale. And that's one of the best ways to connect with me and also get a little bit of a sense of the type of language and suggestions that I offer. So your audience can go to your salesmaven.com slash ebook and there's no dash or anything. It's just E-B-O-O-K, all one word. So yoursalesmaven.com slash ebook. And then you can download my Closing the Sale ebook. And you'll you'll start receiving information from me about the Sales Maven Society. And it'll be an opportunity for us to connect. Lovely. Well, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and allowing us to learn from your experiences. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Learning on Fire podcast. For more information, please visit educationonfire.com and follow the links from the homepage. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.